how to know which job you should go to next, how to spend your time intentionally with your kids, how to know when to be nice versus when to be honest, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 437 with highly sought after speaker, author, and podcast host, Scott Miller. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals get closer to the best version of themselves. Because when an individual gets closer to the best version of themselves, not only are they better off, but their friends, family, community, and ultimately the world are better off because of it. One way we do this is through the 10-week transformation where we help people build the healthy habits that transform their self-confidence, transforms their body, and transforms their life. If you're interested in building self-confidence and healthy habits, then go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10WT. Today, I'm really jacked up to bring you Scott Miller. Scott is a highly sought after speaker, author, and podcast host. He's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and currently serves as Franklin Covey's senior advisor on thought leadership. And you have got to go grab his latest new book, Master Mentors, Volume 2, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. Prior to his advisor role with Franklin Covey, Scott was a 25-year Franklin Covey associate, and he served as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president. He hosts the podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, which is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Now, I first interviewed Scott way back in the day, about three and a half years ago, and we've developed a great relationship ever since. He's been on my podcast. This is his third time. He's become my personal mentor, and I know how much value this guy brings when he writes a book or when he gets behind a mic. So get ready. Before diving into the episode, though, be sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share the episode with a friend or family member while you're listening. Like I said, go subscribe because you do not want to miss some of the guests that are coming up next. I continue to bring on some of the best guests out there, and I continue to bring the best out of them, and you don't want to miss those guests that are coming down the line. So make sure you subscribe so you get notified. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Scott Miller. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today is going to be another special one because I have my first time ever three-peat guest, the one and only Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott, just want to start off with saying thanks for spending the time with me once again here today. Hey, most importantly, everyone needs to know that Nick Carrier made his debut on television this week. He was <laughs> featured on QVC Spotlight of Echelon. If you know what Echelon is, you got to check it out. But first, let's make sure that we get some props for Nick Carrier making it to network primetime television this week. I got you. Well, Even if I, it I was four you. seconds of you doing some insane workout on the treadmill. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving me the spotlight, but we're turning it back on you the rest of this time. <laughs> so I was getting ready to tell you, but I was like, I'm just going to say it when we start recording. Master Mentors 3, I have read, I think, seven or eight of the chapters since I got it, I think, yesterday. And I tell you what, a book like this is so digestible and it's so practical and it's 
one of the my favorite styles of books that I read that I've read, and it's so entertaining. And so, first off, you guys need to go get Master Mentors Volume Two. Excuse me, uh, Thirty Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. You can go pre-order it right now. But kind of the, the way I want to Scott start today, Scott, is you know throughout your career you've jumped to a n- number of different kind of job roles, mostly within Franklin Covey for the most part. But from a big picture perspective. I want to ask you about how you've gone about navigating your decision making of the different roles that you've gone to. Like what what was the thought process behind this is the right role versus maybe this is not the right role? Yeah, I think of all the things I've done well, and I've done many that weren't well in my career, I've been a pretty deliberate long-term thinker. Like when I was in mm-hmm. my 20s, I was thinking about my career in my 50s and my 60s. And for those who know me, you know I've created a career coaching course called Ignite Your Genius. You can find that at my website, scottjeffreymiller.com. And I teach these 11 steps, really, of how to have a deliberate career. I think too many of our careers are accidental. You know, some serendipity is important in anybody's life, but I think there's too much accidental, you know, running from something versus running to something because you've got 10 more thousand dollars or a new boss. And I actually, you know stuck things out that weren't always that rewarding in the short term because I felt like I was learning and building and growing. I also wasn't afraid to disrupt myself when I was at my peak. That's when I usually fired myself. I had nine careers inside a 25-year company career. And so I was very effective at also saying, I'm going to fire myself before I get fired or get relieved or get moved on or get that call that says, hey, Scott, we've been thinking, which usually doesn't end too well. So I I learned this phrase early in my career once where you're never in the room when your career is decided for you. And as horrifyingly annoying as that sounds, there's so much truth in that for those of us that have, you know, careers inside of large organizations. So of all the things that I've done the best, it's thinking long-term in terms of half decades and decades. What job do I want three jobs from now? What are the skills I need to learn? Have I mastered this? Have I made my current boss my undying champion, and she will encourage me to move into the next career. I just made sure that I crushed every job I was in, even if that meant staying longer than I wanted to in that role, built champions, and then executed a multi-decade plan for myself. And quite frankly, I've actually tacked insanely close to it because I had a plan, you know, have a plan or be part of someone else's. And I didn't want to be part of someone else's plan for me. I wanted to execute my own plan. You know, it sounds easy, does hard, but because I had a three-decade multi-year career of how many jobs I wanted to have, what were the titles, what were the responsibilities, what was the pay, I tacked really closely to that over the course of my 30-year career. Yeah. What do you say to somebody who the thought of thinking three or four jobs down the line is just way too overwhelming right now because... I, I don't like the job I'm in right now, and I don't even know where I want to go. There's no way I can think three jobs down the line. What's something I can do now to gain clarity on what the next job is or whether or not the job I'm in right now is the right job or whether or not the company or the, the industry that I'm in right now is the right industry? Like, How do I gain clarity as to if I am where I am right now is in the right ballpark? Yeah. I'd answer it a bit differently is – Dory Clark wrote a great book, you know, thinking long-term in a short-term world, right? Basically called long-term thinking. And so I would encourage all your listeners and viewers to not think about your next job or the job you're in right now. 
Think about the job 10 jobs from now. Where do you want to be in 30 years? What does that look like for you? What does that look like? That might take more than an hour. It might take a couple of weeks to think about what do I want my ultimate career to look like, the ending or the penultimate, the second to the ending. And I would start not with your next job. I start with the final. Do you want to be a CEO? Do you want to be a board member? Do you want to be an entrepreneur? Do you want to run for Congress? Do you want to be the foundation chair? Do you want to have independent wealth? I would spend some time thinking long-term, not two or three jobs from now, but like, you know, 20, 30 years from now or 10 years, whatever your goal is, and then tack backwards, backcast versus forecast. Now, to answer your question directly, if you're having difficulty thinking one, two, three jobs ahead, you need to get a mentor which is why I wrote the book, Master Mentors, based on guests from the podcast that I host called On Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, is get a mentor. Identify somebody in your life, whether you know them or not, and have them help you uncover what it is you might be interested in. Their job is to help you discover by helping you uncover your passions, your talents, your fears, your joys. Any great mentor spends time uncovering so that you can discover. Definitely get a mentor. Yeah. So I want to touch on the first thing because, you know, when you said that, it was one of the first times I've really thought about it. I think that sometimes thinking long term is almost, in a sense, easier because people know what they kind of want to do, but oftentimes they just don't think it's realistic. They just think that it's just this pipe dream that I'll never be able to actually achieve. But then if you say what that quote, just use that same phrase as you said, pipe dream, then you realize like, okay, I can actually backtrack this thing. That's 10 years down the road. And so I can actually backtrack it because a lot of people think what I want to do isn't what I'm going to be able to do next. But if they think 10 years down the road, and they identify what they want to do, then they can backtrack actually how to get there. Yeah. So much research talks about the connection between visualizing, illustrating a plan and your ability to execute and to make it happen. Even if you don't know exactly what you want to do, you might want to be in the C-suite. You might want to be retired, but that takes money, right? To be retired. So I'd say, you know, take a stab. Take a stab at something big and bold and audacious that's, you know, at the ultimate aspect and then start to build backwards. If you wanted to be the founder of a large multinational company, that means you probably got to have some international experience and some supply chain and operations and marketing and sales and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can start to backtrack all the roles you'll need to actually accomplish and conquer to get to that point. You kind of can't execute on a vision if you don't have a vision. And it might change along the way. Mine actually didn't change that much. I wrote about nine or 10 different jobs I needed to master. Manager, director, senior director, VP, EVP, C-suite, entrepreneur. And because I had illustrated those, it allowed me to have some very definable goals to get to. But if I hadn't created the ultimate, which was actually to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I don't know if I even would have gotten here. I would have meandered a lot. I probably would have been lured off of my track on this company or that company or this assignment or that assignment that may or may not have been directed to my deliberate plan. Now, for some of you, serendipity is the right way. You kind of go where the opportunities take you and that's fine. I think for the majority of us, like me that are generalists, of course, there are specialists. There's kind of two types of professionals, specialists and generalists. 
one's not better than the other. But if you don't have the badge, you know, physician, attorney, engineer, dental hygienist, massage therapist, if you're like me, where you're a generalist and you do some selling and project management and speaking and writing and marketing and all that kind of stuff, you probably need more of a deliberate path to make up for the success that comes inherently with those who are specialists. You know, once you're a chemical yeah. engineer, you're kind of always a chemical engineer. Once you're an anesthesiologist, I don't find too many of those pivoting into being architects, right? But for the rest of us that are generalists, if you want to pull all that generalist knowledge, all that generalist experience that you create in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and have it congeal and explode positively in your 50s and 60s for you, you probably need a little bit of a sense of a deliberate plan to bring it all together. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Now, I want to take you to a completely different place from where we've been because I, I loved this chapter. Also, I'm just going to toot your horn a little bit more because your writing style, and I think a lot of it's maybe just because I know you and I can see how you speak and interact with people and how it goes into your writing style, but it is so fun and easy to read. Um, but anyways, the chapter with Julie Morgenstern, Time to Parent. I know that you always, you you talk about parenting frequently in your, in your social media content and about your three boys, but I really thought the transform transformative insight of her framework of visible, invisible, teach, relate, and, and that, I want you to riff a little bit on what that is and kind of how you started to apply it in your own life with your children. And then we'll also kind of apply it a little bit, how to, how it actually works with leadership too. Sure. So each book in the Master Mentor series, which there'll be 10 books over 10 years, this is volume two, volume three comes out next year in 2023, 30 new mentors, 30 new insights. This is Julie Morgan Stern fairly famous author, speaker, expert on time management, productivity, organization. She wrote a book called Time to Parent. I think it's the best parenting book I've ever read. And those that know me know I'm not a naturally good parent and sh I don't love parenting. I'm a bit, I'm a, parenting was you know not an easy thing for me. My wife and I have three young sons that are eight, 10, and 12. And Julie wrote something and talked about it in the podcast where she said, you know, as a, as a, a counselor, she had so many parents that came in with their children and the children and the parents would be in the opposite ends. The parent would say, you know, I gave my whole life for you. And the child would say, but you were never there for me. And the parent would say, but I gave my whole life to you. And the child would say, but you were never there for me. And what Julie realized is that most of the things we do as parenting are sort of arranging and planning, right? They're either in the adult world, making orthodontist appointments filling out forms for camp, paying tuitions, things like that, that are necessary, but our children don't see them. They're in the invisible world. They're ne necessary. So there's things we do in the adult world that aren't in the kids' world. And there's things we do that are in the sort of invisible world that aren't in the visible world. And they're necessary, but our kids don't see them or appreciate them. And there's also things we do that are called teaching and relating like playing with our kids, spending time with our kids, doing what they want to do that are in a kid's world, and it's also invisible to them. And so for me, the epiphany, the transformational insight was to recognize I still got to do things that are in the parenting world and in the invisible world, because that's what good parents do. But all my, all my time can't be spent working to pay for their tuition 
or working to pay for their tennis lessons that they don't want because they're over tennis this month or this week. But I've also got to spend time in the child's world, in their visible world, teaching, relating, talking, listening, playing, doing things that they want to do. And it isn't all of one or all of the other. I'm very much of all things in moderation. But for me, it was this eye-opening experience to say, wow, that's right. There are things you do in the parenting world and things you do in the child's world. There's things you do in the visible and invisible world. And there's arranging and there's teaching and relating. And they kind of move back and forth. And I thought it was the best parenting book. If anything I'm saying right now is resonating with you as a caretaker, as a parent, as an aunt, uncle, a grandparent, buy Julie Morgenstern's book, Time to Parent. Study her four-box model or just buy the book, Master Mentors. And I have her content in there. I want to make sure to give Julie credit for it. It was life-changing for me. Yeah, well, I think it's, like you said, you you know, you know, live your life a lot more through that lens now, making sure that you're spending time in those different categories. And I really liked the the visible ones of teaching and relating because one of the things that she talks about in the book, which is kind of a, a leadership principle as well, where it's like you can't just expect to teach because they're not going to actually accept the teaching if they're not bought, if they don't think you've ever related with them. Like you have, it's the whole idea of, in order to influence somebody else, you have to be influenced yourself, that kind of a thing. Well said. I'll be honest. This may be horrifying to some people. Parenting is not my natural calling. I don't enjoy being a parent. I think I'm a decent parent and I'm committed to it and I'm trying hard. But I'll be honest, I don't enjoy playing with my small children. I don't enjoy playing Legos. I don't enjoy playing pretend. I don't enjoy playing boxcars. I don't enjoy it. I was, I was a parent later in life. I'm 54. I have a seven-year-old. So I was a parent later in life. So what I, my style of parenting is to take my kids to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse with me, take my kids to Paris with me, take my kids to Barnes and Noble. I spend a lot of time with my kids in the adult world, not in the parenting world. So I have deliberately become a little more patient of, you know, playing Nerf guns and going motor scootering with them, playing basketball, things that I don't naturally enjoy. I like my kids. I just tend to like to relate to them in the adult world. And sometimes my kids just want me to lay on the ground and play army men with them for two hours, which I want to shoot myself setting up army men for two hours, but that's what they want. And that's where I'm relating. And in some cases, even, even teaching. Now, for many of your listeners and viewers, this is a dumb moment. But for some of you, you're relating to me. And I'll tell you, this four-box model that Julie's created will, will, will fundamentally change how you spend your time with your kids. Right. But And I think it's very applicable to anybody that you're leading. You have to spend time hearing them out. You have to hear them where they're at and be able to empathize with them so that you can then have the ability to influence them as well. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, 
Here's what they had to say. My name is Carly and I joined Nick's 10 week program because I loved his coaching style at Orange Theory and I really felt like I could get a good 10 weeks in with it. My goals were to just become stronger and become more dedicated to my workouts and um, I've definitely been on my way to achieving them. I've noticed some muscle growth, um, so it's been awesome. My favorite part of the program is just the community of girls. I'm a group with all girls and just having Nick coach me, the one-on-one, -on -one, um, I love his technique point outs and fixing my form and all of that. So it's just kind of that more one-on-one -on -one feel. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Now, but the, what, the thing I want to kind of go back to that I hadn't thought of before it, until you just said it was, you know, you dread the fact of setting up army men, but you do it because you see it as relating with your kids. And so you do something that you don't want to do, but you frame it in a way that makes it so you kind of want to do it. Well, I learn. I learn. I learn so much about how they choose to set them up and are. Are, you know, I got one son that wants to just annihilate everybody. Another son that wants to have a peace accord in the middle of the, of the, so I learned a lot about their personalities. I thought that's so interesting that they have their tanks behind all their army. And the other son will say, well, no, you're going to kill all your people. If the tank is behind it. It's just, it's interesting to see how their thinking is. I've learned a lot about their personalities. Stephen Covey, of course, the author of the book, The Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, my boss and mentor for decades taught me a great parenting skill. He said, you know, whatever his, whatever his kids liked, he liked. If they liked strawberry ice cream, he liked strawberry ice cream. If they liked horror movies, he liked horror movies. If they liked catching fish, he liked catching fish. Now, I haven't taken it that far, but it haunts me to think I've got to do more things that my boys like to do so that mm. I can relate and teach to them in the child's world in a visible way, not an invisible way in the adult world, because I'll be honest, I take my role as provider very seriously. I, I, I think my biggest contribution has been providing for my children financially, whether it's clothes or tutoring or medical care or insurance or orthodontics or tuition. I take the role of provider, but sometimes I maybe take it too seriously because my kids don't need a new pair of Yeezys. They need more time on the floor setting up army men. Yeah. Now, one of the things I do, and I'm going to transition off of the parenting after this point, but I think one of the things that you said in the book that I do think is helpful around this is just finding ways to verbalize what you did do for them in the invisible in the invisible world. I think that's important because, like you said, in the book, they probably get more of it now than you think. They might not appreciate it right now, but that's one of the things when they get to be 22, they're going to be thankful for. And that's one of the things that I've always said about my parents. I, I, I always talk about my parents in, in two different ways. My dad is the parent who cares about the future version of Nick. And my mom is the parent who cares for the current version of Nick. And so my dad's the one who, when he comes to my house, he'll be like, yeah, you need to kind of fix this and this and this. And he's okay to upset me now, but he knows it'll benefit the future version of Nick. But my mom's kind of like, oh man, this looks great. And so I think it's important to have that balance, you know, from a parenting standpoint, they both do a little bit of both, but generally that's kind of how it and that's kind of how it fits. The, the last thing I want to talk about was one of the things that uh, Guy Kawasaki talked about in his his chapter. First off, that was one of my favorite chapters of like the eight that I've read, and it was just kind of 
mini paragraph, mini paragraph, mini paragraph. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I'm delighted you said that because my editor accused me of phoning that chapter in. And I said, no, that's like the guy's got so much wisdom, Guy Kawasaki. There's just so many nuggets. If you just think about them, it's it's life-changing. Well, that that's one of the seven books that I think I've added to my Amazon cart. So the Wise Guy. You that that wise Guy is a phenomenal book. Oh, yeah. Top 20 books I've ever read, Wise Guy by Guy Kawasaki. Yep, 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 yep. And so one of the things that he put on here, or he you had in the chapter, was the future cost of short-term kindness. And that's one of the things that I am... I try to balance as a as a coach is trying to find the time when to be empathetic and not give somebody too hard of a time slash the when I need to kind of call them out. And so what have you found is the way that you kind of internalize and then act out how to balance the honesty versus it's it's not it's like how you phrase being honest with the person now. It's a skill set. This is a leadership competency. This is a relationship competency. How do you provide people feedback on their blind spots, on their areas of improvement, or for that matter, even validating them on their areas of genius? It's a balance of courage and diplomacy. It's declaring your intent. Hey, Nick, I'd like to give you some feedback on what I think could be an amazing genius leverage you have. And there's some things that are kind of getting in the way of that. My intent is not to embarrass you or to minimize you. It's the opposite. My intent is to help you kind of uh, open the curtains on what could be a genius deployment of your skills if you were to tweak a couple of things that I'm experiencing with you. Mm. It's declaring your intent. My intent is not to embarrass you. My intent is to ignite your genius. My intent is not to minimize you. My intent is to actually give you a gift that you might find offensive in the short term, but I think someday you'll appreciate it. The concept is the long-term impact of being too kind in the short term. Oh, you're the best speaker I've ever seen. Or, oh, wow, that was a great workout. Or, well, that was the best dinner ever. While you're throwing it up in the bathroom, right? I mean, there's a, there's a time to be kind and gentle when the payoff is inconsequential. And then there's right. a time to, you know, to pick the timing to say, hey, I saw you yesterday in that meeting, and I, I thought you might really benefit from a couple of heartfelt, sincere compliments, and separately, a couple of areas that I thought if you were to tweak tighter, could just be explosive in a positive way for you. I think how you speak it is different to each person. You've got to understand the way they listen, because right. the way they listen isn't the way you listen. The way you they want feedback may not be the way you want feedback. If you want to be an effective leader, effective spouse, an effective partner, an effective team member, you're more aware of how you like to receive information and how you deliver right. information. And you're and you're even more aware of how your colleagues and team members like to receive information. It requires you to have an individualized style of leadership. Nick wants feedback differently than Tina does. Tina wants it differently than Mark does. I think it takes a selfless person to invest the time to say, hey, am I am I willing to risk not being liked in the moment for being respected in the long term? Yeah, no doubt. That was that last part was well said. I, th- I think that one of the things you said in the beginning was declaring your intent, intent. I think that's super critical. I know for me, applying it from my perspective, when I go coach people, 
let's say, I always try to be like, first off, I try to de-escalate the emotion, make sure, depending on where they're at, right, de-escalate any kind of emotion that might be get might be there, but then talk about, hey, I really want to make sure that you get the most out of this exercise right now, or I want to make sure you get the most out of this 10-week transformation, so can we talk about what you did last week, or can we talk about that form that you just did, and so I think, like you said, declaring your intent with whoever it is that you're trying to provide constructive feedback for is a really great way to make sure that you enter into the conversation. And I think timing is like 80% of it. When I just worked a 14 hour day and I walk in the front door, I really don't want my wife to give me critical feedback on episode 214 of the podcast that I hosted. You know, maybe, maybe first can I like take off my shoes and sit down and just like debrief my own day for a moment Give that feedback to me in an hour after I've relaxed or so. Same with, you know, same with giving people feedback in the workplace is make sure you know the timing of it. It's it's a, it's an underestimated component of being a critical uh, uh, provider of feedback to people. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'm wary of our time. So before I ask the last question really quick, I just want to acknowledge you, Scott. The book is a masterpiece. And I know I know what all you have going on in your life right now and the 12 things that you're trying to juggle right now, not to mention the, the three rambunctious boys and, and everything like that. And you've done a really great job of being able to produce something that is so great amidst the chaos. Nick, wait till Master Mentors Volume 3. It's Let's got go, Marina Huffington, Robin Sharma, James Clear, Emmanuel Acho, uh, uh, it's got some amazing names coming out in it. Uh, volume three is going to be amazing. I think volume one was well received. And these are not, these are not academic books. They're like chicken soup for the leadership soul. 30 ideas. You can start anywhere, go everywhere. You can read a chapter in three or four minutes, some provocative questions. I appreciate you taking your platform and spotlight and shining it on master mentors today so that I can shine it on the 60 people from volumes one and volume two. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You guys make sure that you go follow uh, Scott on Instagram at Scott Jeffrey Miller, and I'll make sure I have the link to the book in the show notes and, and everything like that. But Scott, I want to make sure I get down to the last question real quickly. But I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't think that we ever actually get to that best version of ourselves. I think it's always this finish line that continue to kind of, kind of move further and further, but we can still kind of close the gap. So the question for you personally, is if there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to the best version of Scott Jeffrey Miller that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Well, number one, for sure, recognize the power of me choosing my response to everything, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, life is sort of, you know, 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So I'm increasingly getting much more deliberate and how I choose my response to everything. Number two is every day reminding myself of how grateful I am. Grateful for my hands, my toes, my eyes. It sounds like a cliche. Master mentor number one from the first book was Nick Vujicic, who has no arms and no legs. And when you read that first chapter in Master Mentors Volume 1, you can't help but remind yourself every day of how grateful you are for being able to scratch your head or take a glass of water or being able to go to the restroom by yourself and zip down your own pants because you have fingers and hands. That's number two, just um, living a life of gratitude every day. 
Number three is uh, I remind myself every day I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have failures that, you know, most days I have a setback and I view it as sometimes a disappointment turns into an appointment. So I don't, so a publisher says no to me. I don't get the six figure deal. I say to myself, okay, well, there's a freed up 500 hours. How am I going to invest that somewhere else? So I don't let setbacks set me back. I just kind of set back and I say, okay, so that's interesting. That's not going to work out. So what else is open for me? And so I'm a bit of a machine in terms of quickly being able to what I call bruise hard, but heal fast. I don't, I don't heal. I don't heal slowly. I have a remarkable ability to bounce back and look towards the future. Now, there's a downside to that because I often live in the future. I don't live in the past, but I also don't live in the present. So if I had to mention number four, I'd say I got to balance living in the future with also living in the present because I'm so focused on what's next, what's next, what's next. I don't take time to live enough in the present. That's four for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, four great things. Those those were really great things, no doubt. And I think uh, people, you need to make sure so you guys Nick go back Barrier and fan, Wait for his debut on television. It's going to be bigger than five seconds coming soon, people, I can tell you. Uh, well, you guys make sure you go grab a copy of Mentor, Master Mentors you Volume 2. It. You can't stand the spotlight on you, can you? You hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is, it's a podcast for you. It's same for me. Anyway, Master Mentors Volume 2, y'all. Go grab a copy. Appreciate it, Scott. Thank you, Nick. That episode with Scott was an absolute blast. I feel like we hit on so many different topics, and I know that there was something in this episode for every single one of you that listened. From navigating your career to parenting your kids to leadership principles, we ran the gamut during that interview. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Maybe you learned something about parenting and how to separate your time teaching and relating with your kids. And maybe you found that insight of visible time that you spend with them versus invisible time really helpful. And maybe you think that somebody else who's a parent would really benefit from that. And if so, send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. But for now, it's time to take action. If you're lost in your career right now, ask yourself, where do I want to be in 10 years down the road? And then backtrack from there. Also, if you're a leader, remember to be deliberate in balancing when you need to be kind and empathetic versus when you can give somebody constructive feedback. And when you give that constructive feedback, be sure you declare your intent first. And lastly, I loved all of Scott's last four things, but his first is powerful. You can choose your response to everything. So, so good. You can choose your response to everything that happens to you. Make sure you give yourself daily gratitude reminders. Turn your disappointments into appointments and balance living in the present and the future and it will inevitably help you get closer and closer to your best you.